2: I'm Van Jones, and this is Uncommon Ground. Welcome back to Uncommon Ground. This is a show where we're exploring what it takes to make meaningful change in a country as divided as our country has become. Now, look, in this political climate, it is very easy to get discouraged, constantly faced with polarization. You know, what civil right is getting overturned this week There's a lot going on, and on this podcast, we're trying to figure out something even tougher, which is how can we turn some of our enemies into allies. It can be overwhelming, and I can often myself just start to lose a sense of joy. And that's a big tragedy because there really is joy, and there should be joy in trying to make the world better. Having joy in our activism, joy in our expression is really essential to ultimately being able to win over the country and the world to a better way of doing stuff and there's really nobody who is better at teaching how that is done at its highest height than Billy Porter. Billy Porter is somebody a lot of people know. Uh, If you don't know the name, Google him. You definitely know the face. He's an actor, he's a singer, he's a director, he's an activist, a fashion icon. He starred in the hit TV show Pose and he actually got an Emmy for that role that made him the first openly gay black man to win an Emmy for lead actor in a drama. And he's the director of a new movie called Anything's Possible, which you can watch on Amazon Prime. You know, Billy is a key figure in this moment, which is really amazing to see because Billy came up in the 1980s when the gay community was being ravaged by AIDS. People were scared to come out of the closet. And in this conversation, I talk with him about what he learned from watching that community come together in those days.
1: In the second semester of my senior year of college, I moved to New York City. Broadway Cares, Equity Fights, AIDS was just starting. And those people picked up the mantle of activism and taught us all how to be activists. They taught us all how to show up for a cause. Just like all the Black people in the civil rights movement. You know, those people who were the leaders of the LGBTQ plus movement learned from the civil rights movement how to activate. And so for Mm -hmm. me, I was in the middle of an activation that I had only read about.
2: What I love about Billy Porter there's so much love about him. But what I love most is that he's just committed to using his platform to speak up. Uh, He speaks up for what matters. Grew up at a time when there was really nobody who was famous who looked like him and loved like him. But instead of letting that stop him, he let it motivate him to become a figure that now young people around the world can look up to today. I got a ton out of this conversation. I think you will too. Stay tuned for our conversation with Billy Porter right after this break.
0: This episode is brought in part to you by Audible
3: Every day is a great day when you're not worrying about your appliances and home systems. And that's what you get with an American Home Shield warranty. With American Home Shield, you can protect your home and wallet from unexpected breakdowns like leaky faucets or faulty water heaters or wonky thermostats. Now that's something to celebrate. When it comes to protecting your appliances and home systems, don't worry, be warranty. For 20% off plans, Go to ahs.com slash Wondery. For more details, see ahs.com slash contracts for coverage details, including limit amounts, fees, limitations, and exclusions.
2: Billy Porter in the house. How are you?
1: I am fantastic.
2: Yes, you are. Yes, you are. By definition, you are fantastic. Look, I have so much I want to talk with you about, your courage, your authenticity, your story, your journey, the way that I think you have been a true trailblazer of the twenty first century. I am glad that you are on this podcast because I think that you're speaking for a lot of people who don't have the platform. I mean you you are changing everything. I mean you're you're the center of this tsunami, frankly. You have been a huge part of moving the culture on.
1: Well, you know, I just show up. I'm just trying to show up as a first generation. Post-civil rights movement, baby. The only thing I've known is activism. The only thing I've known is to show up for what's right and to then be queer and come out in 1985 when I'm 16 years old and be thrust into the AIDS crisis and fighting for our lives on the front lines with that. You know, and I do understand that as a black queer man in this space who has been all unapologetic from the beginning, that there is a a responsibility for me to continue to um, speak my truth. Because apparently that's not a thing anymore.
2: Well, it's a thing coming from you. I'll tell you that. You know, you, you don't know this. I am one year and one day older than you.
1: One year and one day?
2: One year and one day. I was born in uh, 1968 in September 20th, and you were born 1969, September 21st. The reason I, I want to underscore that is that people today do not understand the 80s. D- these The young people today think it was, you had Dr. King, and then you had Barack Obama, and that was <laughs> like nothing happened in those 40 years in between. Can you just remind people what it was like? When you say, you know, you came out in the 80s and you were dealing with life-or-death issues of AIDS.
1: No, let me just talk about the 70s first, when I was five years old Mm -hmm. in 1975, growing up in the Pentecostal church. And because I was a sissy, my very loving and very scared family sent me to a psychologist to fix me. Mm. So that's the first messaging you get. And then being a survivor of sexual abuse at the hands of my stepfather right after that, from the time I was seven to the time I was 12, which takes us to 1982, 83, to then come out as queer in 1986 and be thrust directly into the AIDS crisis where AIDS is God's punishment for the thing that you actually don't have control over. So that's the first 16 years of my life.
2: Like I, I don't think people understand. Like, first of all, I remember in the '80s, ACT UP, uh, the organization, they had the slogan "Silence equals death," because if people did not come out of the closet, if people did not say you know what their diagnosis was or at least what their concerns were, the government was literally happy under Reagan to just let people die. Right. There was no response. You think about the response we had to COVID. <laughs> There was, I mean, no response from the federal government when it came to AIDS. Uh, The the research dollars weren't there. There was no sense of urgency because it was just all those gay people who were dying. It's hard as it is for people, I think, who have been born in in later decades to understand. You had to be a very courageous person to raise your hand in the 1980s and say, I am actually a gay person.
1: Yeah, I really, you know... I'm trying to receive that. As a person who lived through it and hearing you speak about it on the other side of it, that is the truth, but that is not what I felt at the time. You know, what I felt at the time was there was no other choice. I didn't feel courageous. I didn't Hmm. feel like I was doing anything special. I just felt like I'm right here in the middle of all of this trauma, of all of this sickness, of all of this death. And I got to go to church every week and hear these bitches from the pulpit talk about AIDS as God's punishment when the only people that have been Christ like in my life are the gay people that I was associated with, you know? So it made me really question the status quo. I think, you know, very often, and even in, you know, I think about like coming through this this Trumpian era where I had to sit and watch our representatives be so afraid that Trump was gonna drag them online like a 16-year-old cheerleader, and so they wouldn't speak up. I was like, I don't understand what's happening. I didn't do that. Like, we didn't do that. Like, you're our, you are our representatives, and you're standing here not speaking up because this bitch will drag you online and you won't be reelected? Like, that's where we are? My friends were dying in the 80s. You know, where I'm going to two, three, five, 10 memorials a week for 15 years. I don't care. I don't care what anybody thinks about my choices or the decisions I make. You know, there's an urgency that's required in the space to move the conversation forward. Silence does equal death. I was blessed enough at 18 years old to understand that, to be presented with that. I don't know anything else but to fight.
2: I mean, my mind is just blown because, I mean, you're right. You know, I was, I was on, on the outside of it. I was in the rural South. I was watching what was going on you know, in New York. Uh, and also, that was the first time the culture started to buckle a little bit. Suddenly you had androgyny showing up in the 80s. You had a Michael Jackson who wasn't exactly, uh, uh, you know, Mr. Macho. You had Prince. You know, he was, you know, he had, you know, eyeliner and the high heels and could still take your wife and what is this? And then and you had Annie Lennox with the Eurythmics. She came on the scene. Boy George, George Michael, the youth culture, at least, was starting to buckle and bend away from some of the rigidity. That had been you know, at least enforced in the sixties and, and the seventies. How did you receive that as a young person, and and being you know uh, being able to at least see some of the stuff that's happening? Was that even not not so important because you're in the middle of so much of the of the fight?
1: Well, as a black man,
2: mm-hmm.
1: there was no representation. I could look at Boy George and he was white. I could look at Prince and while he was black. He was light skinned and he was straight, you know, so the culture could receive him as straight and it's just rock and roll. David Bowie, he's white and he's non-binary. We have the words now for non-binary. So it was cool for a white boy to be anything. The black boys couldn't do that outside of Prince and outside of Michael. Very true. Anybody else. No.
2: So somehow you decided in the middle of all that to come out to be a part of the fight. And in the middle of all that, you decide what you really want to do and what you're called to do is to be an entertainer. At a time when uh, there weren't black gay men as uh, leading actors and nobody, you're the first one to ever win an Emmy. Talk a little bit about why this was a move that made sense to you.
1: Um, I didn't have any other place to go. In the second semester of my senior year of college, I moved to New York City. Broadway Cares, Equity Fights, AIDS was just starting. Google it if you don't know what that is. And those people picked up the mantle of activism and taught us all how to be activists. They taught us all how to show up for a cause just like all the Black people in the civil rights movement. You know, those people who were the leaders of the LGBTQ plus movement learned from the civil rights movement how to activate. And so for me, I was in the middle of an activation that I had only read about, you know? And so I always, I I feel very blessed and grateful to have been a part of that movement you know, the movement that changed the face of what we now call AIDS, the AIDS crisis.
2: It, the crazy thing about it was, again, here's what it looked like from where I was. I'm watching TV. I'm, I'm a, At this point, I'm a college student in the late 80s. And you have ACT UP, you have Queer Nation, you have uh, the, the uh, Black AIDS mobilization BAM out of Brooklyn. It was shocking because suddenly... The tactics of direct nonviolent civil disobedience, which you know, that's supposed to be, you know, black folk stuff coming out of the black church. You know, Dr. King, the sit in struggle, Ella Jo Baker, Stanley Hamer. All of a sudden it's folks in New York City and they're wearing leather yes, <laughs> and they are sitting in and they are stopping traffic and they are throwing blood on the cardinal. Yes. And they are insisting that everybody stop and recognize the humanity of a group that is suffering, that is dying, that is being neglected. And it was shocking to people. So we, as young black folks who were working on other issues, we started stealing y'all's tactics. (laughs) In the Bay Area, uh, Roots Against War, we were direct action protesters trying to be like, act up. So we were remixing what y'all were doing. A lot of people now, they when they think about activism, they might think about one march and that's it, or they, they change the color on their Instagram thing for a day, but it, it was deeper than that. So this is the fire that you were forged in, and now you are at the center of this cultural revolution, not by yourself, but you are absolutely at the center of this cultural revolution. People are looking at you, and you are bending all the rules. <laughs> You're using fashion to make statements. You're doing all this stuff. And the most important thing is, it looks like you are having a ball. <laughs> it looks like you're having the funnest revolution ever. <laughs> Can you talk about that part? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
1: um, you know, I'm a great actor. The hardest part in this journey for me has been the rejection and the dismissal and the erasure from my own people.
2: You mean black people?
1: Black, black people, yes. It's it's changing, you know, and from black people, unfortunately unaware that their homophobia is based on a colonizer's religion.
2: Mm, here we it's go. It's the
1: colonizers <laughs> that made you believe that Christianity was yours. And so now we forget that in our culture, the two spirit has always been the leader. The two spirit has always been the archetype directly connected to spirit, who protects the village, who protects our people. The colonizers have turned us against ourselves.
2: Now, now, just just to make sure that my my listeners and the Community are following you. You're, you're pointing out that in many African societies, yes, what you're referring to as Two Spirit, you know, the West who call gay, lesbian, bi, trans, trans, that was a part of the culture.
1: We are the leaders of the culture. We are the protectors of the culture. We are the protectors of the village because we have a direct connection. To spirit because we're and the artists.
2: So the puritanical aspect of Christianity, which was terrified of all that, and said, hey, women, you're getting out of line. Uh, you're witches. We're going to burn you. Right. The queer folks are getting out of line. You're not shaman. You're, you're Satan. We're going to burn you. We're yeah. going to cast you out. You're saying all of that is not a, a normal part of African culture.
1: No, it isn't. And it's time for us to reclaim it. And the good news is... A lot of people understand that.
3: This episode is brought to you by Huggies Little Movers. Huggies knows that babies come in all shapes and sizes, and your tushies do too. That's why Huggies is the number one best-fitting diaper with its curved and stretchy fit and 12-hour protection against leaks. No matter what kind of butt you've got, you'll feel comfy while your baby's mushy little tushy wiggles and jiggles all around. Get your baby butt in the best-fitting diaper. Huggies Little Movers. We got you, baby.
2: Part of what is amazing about this, it looks like you're bringing joy back to uh, all aspects of the culture. I'm trying. Because the the, the strength that you carry, the pain, all that sort of stuff is obvious. It's just not the most important thing. Talk about that because I I, I see you as somebody who's basically saying, I'm not going to deny the pain. No. I'm not going to let the pain have the last word. No. I'm not going to let the pain have the last word.
1: No. No. You know, it's like... The idea of the tortured artist, you know, the artist that, like, can't get their shit together, self-destructive, you know, it's like I've seen it. And the last thing I want to do is do that, is be self-destructive. And so the choice is joy. It's a choice. It is not easy. I don't necessarily succeed very often, but the goal is joy. I don't want to be tortured. I don't want to be a tortured artist because tortured artists die. Tortured artists disappear and evaporate before their work is done. I have work to do. I can't burn out. Before the work is done, if I'm true to myself, if I'm authentic, if I don't let anybody take that away from me, then maybe I won't lose my mind.
2: That's the blessing of getting to be in our fifties. You know, some of our heroes, even you know, Dr. King died at thirty-nine. Malcolm died at thirty-nine. A lot of the culture that we inherit is the culture of young people, or best young parents, who never got to see. 50, 60, 70, 80, and be able to dial back and calm down and balance out. And so we have a very adolescent still culture because of all the trauma from the assassinations and like you said, the self-destruction or whatever.
1: That's I've never said it like that, but like, yes, that's exactly right. It's exactly right. I don't want to die at 50. I'm 52 years old. Luther Vandross died at 50. What are you talking about?
2: exactly look i mean tupac was what 26 27 so we have unfortunately because because of the oppression that we've faced the self-destruction the the assassinations or whatever i'm supposed to look up at dr king i'm sorry i'm 53 dr king was 39 right i can't do that
1: <laughs> it's time to move on
2: yes yes
1: that's really hard especially in the african-american community where these leaders were the only thing that we had for so long. It was the only thing that we had. And so therefore these human beings have been enshrined in this space of um, perfection when they weren't, they were human beings just like the rest of us.
2: As, and I do admire uh, Dr. King. I'll never catch him in terms of his, his contributions. I don't mean that way, but I just mean the idea that he that, that, that these were young people and there's only so much you can learn from a young person when you're an old person. I don't care who you are. There's There's got to be, to your point, some of us have to have the right to get older, to say, how do I express this now as an older person and not try to mimic what young people were doing and how young people were saying it? I think it's, I think it's important. That said, you are a provocation. You you provoke. You you people cannot not react to you, whether they're jumping up and down and, and cheering like myself, or whether people say, "Wait a minute, what is this?" And I want to put that at your feet because the thing about you is that you actually somehow, in your true spirit, are able to both embrace and and include and also fight. Right. So I just want to talk a little bit about the other side. Okay. Because for whatever reason you are able, I don't know how or why, it's just your it's a mystery, but you are able to transcend just the narrowness of you know, black queer born. Blah, you blah, blah. you 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 have a universal appeal. Why do you think that is? A lot of people have not been able to do what you're doing. Do you have any reflection knowledge understanding of why is this working?
1: Um I have to say that if I'm honest, I'm in the middle of honoring and understanding that it's working. You know, because when you're in the middle of the work, you don't always necessarily understand the effect. I'm in the middle of the work. So I don't have a whole lot of time to sit back and look at how it's, work if it's working how it's working or you know what I mean like I just and so it's nice to hear from the other Mm -hmm. side that my intentions are being received like my intention is that we can talk about the tough stuff and love each other at the same time like it's not necessarily it doesn't necessarily have to be either or You know, but like James Baldwin says, and I'm paraphrasing, but if your version of my humanity means that I don't matter, then that's not okay. I'm here for the conversation. I'm here for the conversation. I'm here for the growth. I'm here for all of that. You know, but in the middle of that, if your actions speak to me not being a human being, we're done.
2: See, this is the thing. I, I I I I spent a lot of time with Prince, and he was same with you in that regard. I said, Prince, you know, we were growing up. Like, you know, somebody if somebody put a poster of you up on the wall, it was a controversy in the household because what is this? And if it was a white girl put your picture up, that was the deal. If it was a guy that put your picture up, I said, what? What did you know? You were creating all this havoc and chaos in the culture. He said, I was just trying to be myself. Right. I was just trying to be myself, and that's what I get from you. And I think people need to really take this on. You can be a black kid born in 1969 at the margin of literally everything, racially at the margin, LGBTQ at the margin, and become so real and so authentic and so insistent on your own humanity that you literally change the culture, don't know that you're doing it. Just literally just fighting for your survival, fighting for your humanity, fighting for your dignity, fighting to just be who you were born to be. But if you're serious about it, you can move the whole culture and create conversations that, honestly, you weren't even trying to author. I think that's important for people to understand. This is not some grand conspiracy. Everything's been worked out with philosophies. and It's in the conversation that we work these things out. And what has to be present is respect. And
1: that's what I love about you. That's why I have followed you because like we have to understand each other, you know, and it's scary and it's hard to let go of tropes that have made you feel safe in life. When as Black people, we have never felt safe. And so we constantly have to be vulnerable and put ourselves out and put ourselves in spaces that are unsafe, so that we can move the conversation forward. It's not fair, but that's the truth. That's the truth. And you have done it. And the reason why I have been able to do it unconsciously or consciously is because of the example that you set, and others have set in front of me. It's like when you're in show business and you do the stuff I do, you know, you're not taken seriously. I'm a very serious person and I take everything in and I'm an empath and everything affects me in a way that probably it shouldn't. And I thank you, Van, for showing me how to continue to show up with grace. I don't necessarily always want to. I want to say fuck y'all. (laughs) I really do. Why should we? You know, it's been 400 years. Why? You know, and there's no other way to move forward.
2: I'm not going to say anything else. That's the amen. That's literally the entire dilemma that this whole podcast is based on. I know. Is that we shouldn't have to, but we have to.
1: But we do. So get over it. (laughs) And get on with it I know I know you don't want to teach I know you don't I know we're still there though so if there's going to be any movement it's up to the people who can to fucking teach these bitches (laughs) and you know my whole thing with cussing and stuff you know because i look at like the oprahs and the obamas you know and i'm like i don't know i can do it like that y'all i don't know that i can do it you know because a lot of people are like you should be a politician i'm like i don't think that people would like me very much because i actually tell the truth and i cuss
2: hey listen the two the two things that the, the politicians don't do you do but you do it well I admire you so much. I am so glad this is everything I had hoped it would be, and ten times more. Oh, did I hope I? that we can do this again. And the great Billy Porter on Uncommon Ground. That's a wrap.
1: I love you. Thank you for having me.
2: We see the beauty of hope. That spirit is so beautiful.
3: Those who become American citizens love this country even more. And that's why the Statue of Liberty lifts her lamp to welcome them to the Golden Door.
2: Man, it's uh, it's really rare you get a chance to talk to somebody who is really the center of a cultural phenomenon, and you know, Billy Porter is definitely that. I love what he talks about the joy. Uh, that he brings, I mean, he really, he gets away with stuff, man, that people just don't get away with. If you if you just Google him and just look at the outfits and all that sort of stuff, but it's, it's a serious thing that he's doing. He's not just wearing, you know, interesting clothes. He's challenging uh, certain assumptions and presumptions about what's allowed and what's acceptable and what's not, and that is drawing a part of the political backlash. You can't understand the political backlash that's going on um, with the Supreme Court and some of the stuff that's happening in in Congress and some of the red states without understanding the cultural revolution that's underway. And he is a clear leader in that whole process, but he's doing with a lot of joy and he's doing with a lot of love. Um, He's got a new film, Anything's Possible, which is a trans youth love story, which I hope to happen back. We talk about that at some point, but he's just changing the narrative everywhere he goes. And that is a part of what we're trying to balance, I think, in the country is how can we have real freedom for more people? Why, why shouldn't a young Billy Porter be able to come out and be a great actor and be a fashion icon and win an Emmy and direct you know, film? And that shouldn't be such a strange thing, but it really, really is still, even in 2022. And so whatever you're going through in your life, you know, if you have a dream, if you have a goal something that you want to do, it's not easy. But people like Billy Porter show you what's possible when you believe in yourself. And he's had some bad days. It hasn't always been easy for him. But there is a sweetness when it all works out in the end. And uh, when I look at Billy Porter, I know there are a lot of people uh, listening to this who have dreams that feel tough, who have tough days. But I believe it's all going to work out in the end. I think that's true for the country as well. Uh, we're having some tough days, but underneath all of it, there's some love and there's some joy. And thank goodness there are people like Billy Porter. Uh, this is Van Jones, Uncommon Ground. Uncommon Ground with Van Jones is an Amazon original production. It's produced by Magic Labs Media and Wonder Media Network. Our producers are Teddy Alexander, Maisha Dyson, Grace Lynch, Taylor Williamson, Adesua Agbonile, and Lindsay Credible. Our managing producers are Laura D. and Eliza Mills. Our executive producers are Jenny Kaplan and Morgan Jones. Our theme music was composed by The Grand Mess. Publicity for this show is led by Alice Zoe, Andy Lichtenfeld, Didier Morais, Chantel Muentes, and Sam Petherbridge. Special thanks to Jana Carter, Alex John Burns, Seven McDonald, Drew Swinderman, Brianna Jones, Eric Carter, Trevor McNeil, Carrie McCarran, Joe McMillan, Steph Walkeen. Vanessa Redbert, Ty Jacobson, Marshall Louie, and Chris Jokkeman. Hey,
0: Prime members, you can listen to Uncommon Ground with Van Jones ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today, or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus and Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com slash survey.
3: I feel like I was blindsided because it's a competition show.
0: They will test their strength and lack of life skills
2: for a chance to win
0: $200 million. $200,000, not
2: million.
0: 200000
2: Prepare, because it's about to be ugly crying. Lots of fighting.
0: Tasia, I have to defend myself. Celebrating 25 years of reality TV with your favorites.
1: I have yeah. diarrhea. You cannot do this to me. What in gay hell have I got myself into?
0: The GOAT. Stream free on Amazon Freeview or Prime Video.